Entertainment Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Hello, thanks for joining us. I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast. Following the Euro Banking Association event held in Stockholm this week, this episode will explore the major topics which were uncovered from talking with subject matter experts who joined us there. Together, I have with me Gareth Priest, Vice President of Product Strategy at Bottomline Technologies. Now, Gareth, innovation, infrastructure and reinvention were promoted as the three key themes at the EBA Day this year. How do you think these themes represent the wider industry at the moment? Um, Well, I think they actually do represent the mood music that's around the industry at the moment. Um, There's a probably for the first time in maybe 15, 20 years, there's some pretty major tectonic movements that are happening in and around the world of banking and um, I think they're driving these sort of themes. I mean, there's all these open banking movements, PSD2 and whatnot. There's challenges to the current payments model with distributed ledger and new entrants and so on and so forth. Um, and I think these these three topics that they picked or three themes are very much the kind of bank's reaction to that. Um, that the infrastructure that they they work around, so the the world of payments, which frankly hasn't changed that much for quite a long time, that's changed underneath them, moving to real-time payments, moving to different types of cross-border payments. So they're having to think about and look at the infrastructure that they work with and their own infrastructure. Um, Innovation, I I don't think you can pick up a paper in, in, in around our industry, or frankly, even on social media now where there's some new kind of fintech, new apps, some innovation that's happening around banks and banks realise that they have to react to that and they have to become more innovative. Um, And that kind of goes to reinvention. And I don't think it's just banks. I think we're seeing some other major players such as the Visas and the MasterCards trying to reinvent themselves away from potentially just being an old card network to being something different in this new world. Um, So I think they've picked the right themes um, and I think they're fairly resonant and probably will be for a couple of years. Now, if we just focus on banks specifically, I know you said it's not just about them. With the central theme or the messaging of helping these banks to thrive in this new, open, real-time world for payments, how well do you feel this comes across at EBA Day and within the industry in general? I think um, banks have been kind of ready whipping boys for quite a while. Um, some of that, frankly, is their own volition um, with, uh, obviously, 2000, 2007, 2008. But, you know, it's it's become easy to pick on banks um, and probably for them to feel a, a little bit like the world's kind of moving in on them, whether it's, you know, regulations that allow for new entrants or challenges to how they make fees um, and so on. Um, I think people have realised that if we want to have more financial inclusion, we want to have more offerings for customers, the banks have to be part of the solution to that. You can't just work around them um, for a variety of reasons. Um, And that the industry, and particularly I think the financial technology industry, has to step up and help the banks. Banks have to help themselves, but also the industry and those of us in financial technology kind of have to help them with these innovations, infrastructures and reinventions that they're going on. They just can't do it all themselves. So... um, so I think um, it sounds odd to try and help a multi-billion, wildly profitable industry, but the reality is that all of our economies need banking and they need it to work really well. So we can choose to kind of pick on it or we can choose to kind of lean in and, and help take it through this revolution, um, but not necessarily overly depend on it, allow new entrants and new things to thrive, but banking's part of that solution as well. 
Sure. So it sounds quite a collaborative strategy that they need to adopt. And, and how would organisations or, or corporates fit into this landscape? Um, well, I think the collaboration is a, is a, is a great word. Um, and it's easy to say and really difficult to do in regulated industries um, for, and for a whole raft of reasons. Um, but I think banks themselves are trying to make themselves and become more collaborative. Um, I think if you if you follow this industry and you follow the press around that, um, I mentioned earlier on, there's all these there's always new fintech startups, new kind of apps, new things that are coming along. Um, well, some of those don't last very long, and some of those realise that part of the um, part of the way to survive and thrive is to actually partner with banks to kind of bring innovation to the banks, and banks are realising that perhaps they don't have to do all the innovation themselves. So I think that collaboration as a theme is important. I think also within banking, they've realised that it's not a zero-sum game to kind of calibrate. And I think EBA Day um, is a good example of the types of conferences where people are starting to see less of the, perhaps, the chess beating by banks versus each other. They're still competitive, but they've also realised that, you know, you don't need to compete on how you connect to a payment scheme, for example. You need to compete on other areas around customer experience and whatnot. Considering the amount of innovation that's required and, and not leaving all the heavy lifting to the banks themselves, how do you feel a company such as Bottom Line fits into this agenda? I think forever, Bottom Line has been a strong partner to banks. Um, you know, we've got our we've got our corporate division that works direct, directly with corporates, but even then, that's often been in collaboration with banks. And um, I see that we see that in the US, frankly, with our digital banking group and our PayModex group, and we see it obviously very strongly here in in Europe. Um, with um, working with our financial messaging and also our, our PTX. So, so I think for a long time, bottom line's been in that kind of collaborative mode with banks. So I think it actually works really well for us. And in fact, it's part of our strategy to lean in even further um, and to work with the banks to help them deal with the changing payments landscape, to help them with solutions, particularly where we can add value to them, where we have real expertise in the kind of corporate and um, small, medium enterprise solutions world that we, you know, they've got lots of customers. We've got lots of great innovation and technology. It's a, it's a great collaboration. And also, I think for banks, they know how to work with us and we know how to work with them. And that's, that's kind of important in this world of collaboration. It can't just be on paper. Um, it actually has to really work from a you know, company-to-company perspective. Now, we spoke with the team that attended the event and they came back with five primary takeaways that everyone should probably keep at the forefront of their mind. Would you mind doing a bit of a deeper dive onto each of these points for us, please, Gareth? Sure. So um, the, the team kind of fed back... Uh, Terribly excited, great event, um, I think a, a great dynamic. Um, but they, they kind of, they, they summarised it as five kind of key things, if you're themes or points that they thought. Um, first one would be that regulation does not mean you can't innovate. Um, I'll, if I go through all five and then perhaps we can talk about each one. Regulation doesn't mean you can't innovate. That collaboration, banks need to collaborate to survive. Um, if you want to become a digital player, you really do have to change your stripes. Um, correspondent banking, which has been under some pressure, um, has become even more competitive, but still is a great business and still has a part to play. Um, and that customer centricity will be part of, when we think about innovation for banks, customer centricity needs to be part of the central part of their value proposition moving forward. So they were the five themes, which candidly, apart from the correspondent banking, if you went to a, a technology-based or user experience-based conference six years ago, 
these would have been the things you talk about. You know, collaboration, so mashups in the tech world, customer experience and user-centric experience and so on and so forth. These are all things that are themed, they're not new, to, they're not new to the world. They're relatively new to banking. Um, so I feel that banking is kind of coming of age in that side of it. Great. So let's talk about regulation first then, please, and, and why barriers shouldn't uh, put people off from trying to be competitive in this landscape. So I think there's been, for a long time, um, it's an excuse. Banks can't, be, banks can't be innovative because the regulations preclude it. Um, and I think that's a lens issue rather than an actual fact issue. Now, some of it is facts. So banks are regulated. That gives them, actually, that gives them a leg up. They're a trusted entity. They're an insured entity. They're, they're allowed to hold funds. They're allowed to be a payments provider. So there's a series of benefits that come with that. But there's also a significant series of um, overheads um, that, can, that come with that. Um, an example would be we recently had the payments barometer. And one of the questions we asked corporates, not banks, we asked corporates was, um, who's responsible for sanction screening? Who's responsible for making sure that the payment that the business is sending doesn't arrive into a terrorist or a criminal organization and i think it was something like 78 percent of businesses feel that's the bank's job to take care of that so not even as consumers businesses feel banks just got to take care of that stuff so there's a responsibility but there's a privilege in that as well um but back to the innovation i think some of this is there's all these things i have to do um they have groups of people in banks in compliance and legal and whatnot who try and enforce those things and if they become the primary, they can become reasons not to innovate or they can become barriers to, to innovate. And that could be a really horrible user experience because you can't open an account or on board or do something interesting. Um, or it could be something more to do with the types of services they can offer um, and, their, and their risk appetite. I think if they look at it, and I think one of the benefits of these new fintechs coming is they're showing that you can actually, especially with newer technology, you can work around that. So you don't have to turn up at a bank with sheaves and sheaves of paper to open an account. You can take a picture of your passport, your driver's license and whatnot and send it across. Um, so I think banks are starting to see that the regulation is a protective thing for them and actually gives them a privileged position. And if they look at it through the right lens and use the right technologies and the right partnerships and focus in the right areas, actually they can still create a very innovative and um, actually probably a very important experience, which is it's innovative it's enjoyable for the customers, but it's trusted. And I think that's probably the secret source for them ultimately in the world of, you know, there's going to be a startup every five minutes who can do something that's cooler and sexier, but can they do it in a way that consumers and businesses feel that it's, our money's safe there and that it's not illegal and that it's going to pass through all the various things that a government would expect? And I think you see a lot of new, even big entrants, Facebook would be an example, who are going to be surfing right on the line, and it's part of the reason things like Bitcoin have struggled because they're not quite mainstream, so it's hard for mass adoption. Um, that leads us quite nicely into the next key takeaway, Gareth, which was that there needs to be more collaboration. So what can they do, and when I say they, I mean banks, what can they do to collaborate with other organisations to survive? And I think, um, you know, there's so many conferences that I've been to where that question comes up or somebody presents something about kind of almost lecturing banks about needing to become more collaborative. I, I, they're not blind to the fact. <laughs> Most of the bankers I've talked to and dealt with, they're, they're all incredibly smart people. So um, they know this stuff. It's less to do with, they know it, and it's more to do with just getting culturally attuned to doing that. Um, I think that is turning really quickly. And I think it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like that kind of snowball that rolls down the hill. It was pretty slow to get going, but now, 
banks that traditionally people might not have thought of, um, you know, real tier one banks are are looking at things and um, essentially they're doing the kind of good to great, which is what is the thing that we need to be, we are best at and need to be really good at and drives most of our economic engine and what do we partner with to help us to do that? So increasingly we're seeing that I think across the board and there's loads of examples. Um, there's examples like Capital One, which is a pretty sizable US bank, have effectively decided they're not going to run and host any of their own systems. They're putting it all onto um, onto Amazon Web Services. Now, for a small bank, that's pretty much par for the course. That's what they do. For a big, you know, over a hundred billion dollar asset bank to pick to do something like that is a huge change. So I think they're realizing. And I think that's one example. And it's a big one. There's loads more of I think of banks saying we're gonna we need to be we need to decide what it is that we need to own and we need to be good at. You know, whether it's the customer experience, the balances, the transactions, you know, those types of things. And then who do we partner with to give a, a brilliant overall customer experience where we can be the trusted provider, but we can use others to either take care of things we don't want to do anymore or add things that we're not particularly specialist at. I think that example there of uh, moving a bank such as Capital One onto AWS uh, was really good in, in the sense that it picked out the, the cultural shift that needs to be made here. And I'm going to move on to this next point and say it verbatim. You can't become a digital player without changing the fabric of the organization. Would you agree with this fully or is there more to it than it might seem? It's more to it than it might seem. Um, so I, I agree with it on the face. Um, I think you can't you, you you can't pay lip service to doing this. So um, and I think you know lots of industries, not just banking, have done that. Which is, you know, if we stick a kind of shiny website up, um, employ a couple of UX designers, and now now we're digital kiddies. Um, I'm, that doesn't really pass muster. Um, on the other hand, I don't think banks suddenly need to turn themselves into fintechs, and you know all the people who wore suits suddenly start coming in in jeans and brown shoes. I think somewhere in between and I think a really good example um, both an inspiration and a good example would be um, the, the the government digital service in the UK so for most people use the, the gov.uk um, website that was seven years ago they set that up and it was an awful I mean, you can't imagine anything more bureaucratic more um, more led by compliance and, and whatnot than the government but they came up they set up a digital service and they put it in the heart it wasn't a it wasn't a kind of little innovation hub on the outside they it was Martha Lane Fox who was the founder of um, lastminute.com was asked by the government to come up with this and she came up with four pages about what they needed to do and part of that was that you could you need to get specialists in but they can't be an adjunct. They have to be right in the heart of what you do. And so, for example, now, if you're, if you're um, going to renew your British passport, you can take a picture with your smartphone. You can do it all online. You don't send anything in apart from maybe your old passport. And 10 days, two weeks later on, your new passport arrives. That's fundamentally different experience. And it's not just because they got the website sexy. It's because they aligned all the processes behind it. So I think when you talk about changing your stripes as a bank, it doesn't mean you turn everything upside down, but it does mean that you have to look end to end for the customer process and start with that and say, okay, what's that experience going to be like? And make sure that all of it, there's no point having a great website if when somebody uploads something, you have a compliance department that then sends a letter out. That's the sort of thing that so that you, you do have to think more. It's not just a digital player, it's more about a customer experience player that you have to, you have to become to be able to operate truly um, in that world, if you're going to compete with um, or collaborate with these kind of startups that 
don't have physical space. They don't have branches. They don't have all that infrastructure. They don't have places for people to go and hand stuff in. So by definition, they design these amazing digital experiences that are completely aligned end to end. Um, and I think banks have to pick which ones they're going to do and do that, but line it up end to end. It isn't just about what you do on the cover. We also learned that correspondent banking is set to become even more competitive than it is today uh, and reduce the margins involved in it. Um, but it's still going to be a great business to be in. What would your take on that be? Well, I think there's, um, there's a fairly big change happening in, in the world of cross-border payments, which is traditionally met perhaps where you might see correspondent banking um, to the fore. Um, and who knows where it ends up? Is, is, is the honest truth. I think this is a good example of one where, you know, if you think of correspondent banking as a supply chain, it's been traditionally relatively inefficient, fairly slow, relatively costly, not very transparent. Um, I think it's a good thing that it's become more competitive and margins reduced because that shows that we're actually starting to move towards a better customer experience. Why should it take four days or three days or whatever it happens to be for a, um, a cross-border payment to arrive? And why shouldn't you know how much it will cost you to send that? And you should have reasonable confidence that what the money you think you're going to send um, arrives where you think you're going to send it and for the appropriate amount and the appropriate time. And that, I think, is what's compressed correspondent banking. Um, I think those that do that well, and those that, if we go back to our previous conversation about sort of that digital, rather than digital, think about the kind of customer experience. Those that say, as a I'm going to offer correspondent banking services to others, but they're not going to be the old-fashioned ones. They're going to be, I'll use a silly example, could be that I'm going to use more of an API-type interface, um, that I'm going to work to align up the supply chains much better. So actually, when you send me a payment, we can pass it straight through really quickly, pass all the information back, which may compress the the price they can charge but if they do it well it will actually reduce the cost of them doing it so they'll still actually be a profitable business and actually they'll grab more more market share by doing that so I think this is more of a shake-up of it frankly um, so it's not that the business itself is going out it's that you have to be pretty good at it now to do it well um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Whilst highlighted as a, a key theme and we, we are going to go on to that in a moment it's been throughout every question that we've been through today uh, and that's the the nature to have uh, a sort of customer centric or a customer first philosophy and customers really should be at the center of the value proposition speaking specifically about that what can you tell us about the findings from EBA I think this has been around as a as a concept in banking for quite some time um, and it's another one of those like collaborate easy to say actually quite difficult to do um, and I'll give you an example. A lot of banks, certainly in the corporate banking world, probably up until about five or six years ago, the experience that a corporate would get would actually be your really actually experience what it what it means to be inside the bank. So what I mean by that would be if you're sending a payment to a bank, they expect you to hit a certain format and do things in a certain way because that's what their systems internally do. So that's not really customer centricity, that's bank system centricity. Or if you want to have a loan or you, um, you want to open an account, then you're put through the mill of what their internal compliance process is, which would mean you have more of a compliance con um, centricity, not a customer centricity. So I think they've all realized that that's not going to pass muster for the long term. And again, I think that's the benefit in some ways of these new entrants who come in and say, we don't have any of that legacy. What we care about is making it really easy for you to open an account. So whether it's a Revolut or any of those others, Starling and whatnot, they've kind of, they've just 
torn the torn the paper up and said, "This is how you open an account, and it's really quick and it's easy, and you never come off your mobile phone." That's customer centricity, and it proves it can be done. Um, I think banks have said it. I think they've done that thing a bit like innovation. We'll set up a customer centric team or an innovate. We'll kind of we'll almost outsource it over here and put it in this put baby in the corner kind of thing. I think um, the realization is this is a bit like that digital question. It's an alignment of the whole bank. So that it's not that you can't do, it's not that compliance isn't important, it's not that you know operational um, risk is not important, it's just that it has to line up with a customer-centric view, which also means, um, which is, this is a real tough one for the banks. If you're a new entrant, you can decide, I just want to be really good at banking millennials, or I want to be really good at dealing with certain types of SME, or really good with certain markets. I think if you're a big bank, a high street bank in particular, you've been providing a plethora of services to everybody from students to retirees to large corporates so it's really hard actually to now say okay wait a second I actually now if you're going to be customer centric you can't genericize you have to say what's the experience going to be like for my small businesses and that can't be the same as the experience for my students and my my retail customers and my high net worth and it can't be the same as my experience I might offer to my institutional customers like other banks so that kind and that's quite different for banks to think through that and make sure that they line their processes and systems and experiences up. Um, but I think they're all moving along that way pretty quickly, um, frankly. So um, I'm reasonably confident for the industry that we'll get there. It might take a bit longer for some of the bigger banks, but they've got the deeper pockets to invest in it as well. Gareth, really great feedback there. And thanks once again for joining us today. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about the themes discussed during EBA Day, then please do get in touch via the usual channels. In the meantime, you can listen to more episodes on all things payments at the touch of a button using your preferred provider. See you all next time. Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.